for, uh, but I'm stubborn because I, when you look at it, there's, there's hundreds of options, and I just don't want to take the time to try to figure out what's the best options. I know some things uh, give greater, it's greater risk, but it gives greater financial return. Uh, we have something that's very minimal, that if we were going to retire on, we would have to probably work till we we're 120 to be able to retire because it's just that slow because I just don't know. Uh, besides, I'm counting on the fact that Jesus is going to come back and take us home before I retire. Uh, but if you're out there and you say, you know what, I have invested my money, Josh, and I've done all the homework and I've done the work, bless you. I pray that the Lord blesses you for that. I pray that everything you invested comes back as much as it's supposed to because that's why you have done it. But why did you pick the avenue of investment that you picked? Good question. You probably picked it because you said it was worth it, right? The, the risk is worth the investment. I stuck just a little bit into this one, and I'm expecting to get a huge return on my investment. But I'm sure everybody here knows that when you invest money into the stock market or into uh, different avenues like that, that it doesn't always pay off financially like you hoped it would, right? We've heard of the stock market that's crashed. Uh, companies that have shares go out of business. You, you try to go sell your shares, and you don't get what you're anticipating or what you're hoping to get. I hope that is not uh, what happens to you. I mean, I really do hope that if you put money out there that you just reap tenfold or, or whatever you are intended to get. I'm a little uh, gun-shy when it comes to investing. But if you're, if you're like me, you say, you know what, I, I know I should invest. I want to encourage you to, to try to invest in a different way because there is a way that is guaranteed to pay off. You don't ever have to worry about the stock market going up and down or the fluctuation. You don't have to worry about the, the numbers changing for what you thought you were going to get because it's going to be there forever. If you'd like to know how to invest eternally, listen up because that is the one way that's guaranteed to pay off. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, or I'm sorry, chapter 16. And we are going to look at a very valuable parable about investing. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to there. I think you can under, you'll understand more clearly uh, the point that this parable is trying to teach. But I really need to pray again. I, I feel like I'm racing and stumbling. Dear God, I, just, I thank you again for your word. I thank you, God, for what you have taught me. God, I just pray that it comes out of my mouth clearly and it would be understood uh, that I wouldn't mumble or stumble, that I would hear from you exactly what you want us to hear and the way you intended us to hear this. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 16, it's a parable of the shrewd manager. I imagine everybody has heard it. I'd like to read through it and discuss it a little bit and then see what was it that Jesus was trying to teach us through this. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this here I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job, people here will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, Well, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second one, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, Take your bill and make it 800. Verse 8 says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly, which almost sounds like a typo. 
but we're not there yet. We're going to start with what's going on. We have this manager who's supposed to be trustworthy, who's left in charge of what his master owns. He's, he's the bookkeeper. He's the accountant. He's the one who keeps track of when people pay his master. He marks it down in the little book and says, okay, I'm keeping record of this. The master is not around. Apparently, he is gone. Uh, he, he could be out on a trip, and it sounds like it was pretty common for the master to leave and put someone in charge that he, he entrusted to him because he doesn't want to sit there himself and keep record of this. He wants to go do other business, or he wants to go out on a vacation. He wants to go out associate with the people. He doesn't want to deal with this, so he puts somebody he trusts in charge of the books. Well, as he's out there, out and about, this manager starts to hear rumors about how this uh, manager is not being fair and honest with his dealings or with his books. And so the master goes and talks to the manager. And apparently, the master believes all these rumors he's hearing about the manager because he says, look, Josh, you can no longer be my manager because you're not taking care of my assets the way that I intended to do. Give, write up an account, and then you're out of here. Well, the manager, you know, he's, he says, oh, great, I'm in a world of hurt. What am I going to do? He says, I, I've been sitting here taking book, care of the books forever. I said, I, he says, I don't have enough strength to go out and dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Now, I find myself, uh, I feel like I understand better what this manager feels like, because before I came here, I used to help drill water wells. I ran the shovel. Anything that I did involved my back. I was very, for as strong as this body can be, that's what I was, okay? I wasn't ripped, but I had muscle. I, I lifted heavy things. I was constantly working hard physically. I came to this, this job, and then I find myself sitting at, the, at my office drinking coffee, going and visiting people, drinking coffee, not really doing much physical work. I mean, I've, I've had two uh, examples in my life over the last couple summers that I better get my 40-year-old body into shape. Uh, one was a shoulder problem that was, I feel like I brought on myself, and the other was a back problem when I went to help uh, brand cows out at, out at Darren's. There was a calf coming, and I decided I was going to take it down, and I paid for it for about three weeks. I couldn't even laugh because it hurt so bad. I mean, I just, I could do nothing because I was not in shape because I just sit there, right? And so I understand how this guy is feeling. He says, I can't work. I don't, I got the mental strength. You might say, Josh, that's not much, but I got a little bit of mental strength up here. I'm, I'm, I don't have the, I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to go out there. Everybody looked at me and said, wow, look at this guy in this high position. I'm not going to go stoop to begging. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to use, I'm going to use what my master has in order to benefit myself. So he calls in these guys and says, what do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, which is a very large amount. And he says, quickly, take your little eraser, erase it, and write down 400. And that's erasing about three years' worth of wages or three years' worth of payment that this master is supposed to be getting. That's, that's a pretty risky thing to do. And then he says to the other guy, well, how much do you owe my master? Well, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He says, quick, take your eraser, erase it really, really well, and write down 800. And how does the master respond to this? Now, what are you thinking? If you put someone in charge of your stuff and they start changing the numbers, and you, he knows, I mean, are you going to be upset about this? I mean, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to make you pay for what you get these guys off the hook for. But the master responds differently. He says, clever. That's smart. I can't, I can't believe you came up with this idea. And I look at that and say, how could that be possible? Why would you be saying that? 
I'm saying, let's kill this guy. Let's throw him in jail. Let's make him go back and talk to those guys and say, give me what, he, what my master owes. I made a mistake. But the guy says, no, that's clever. I, I just got to hand it to you that you came up with this idea. And I don't know why exactly he did that. Maybe the master acted that way in the first place. He was a shrewd businessman. He knew how to work the books to get for himself. And so the manager just learned it from him. He just didn't expect to be used against him. Um, or maybe he just looks and says, wow, you're just being smart, taking care of yourself. Now, when this, this manager erased the, the amount that was owed, you know, this could look one of two different ways. The first is he just flat out said, I don't care about my boss. I'm going to erase these numbers and hope that when I go out there and look for a job, people are going to welcome me in because I've treated them so nice. But also, it could be a little bit more commendable because this guy could have made a good decision uh, that wasn't dishonest. Uh, when, when a master would have uh, a debt that was owed him, if he wanted to be sneaky about it, he wouldn't use money. Because $500, this is what you owe, he would put it in a price of commodity. Like, you owe me 1,000 bushels of wheat. Now, what is a bushel of wheat worth? Well, they would kind of have an idea, but you could hide the interest in that a whole lot easier than just saying, here's a specific money amount. So possibly, this guy's just saying, you know what, I was going to take in this interest, and I'm not going to take it. I'm going to forfeit my interest and give these guys a break so that they will welcome me in. Whatever the case is, he's choosing to hurt to his own harm to, 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 or his master's stuff in order to benefit himself. And Jesus is telling the people, including the Pharisees in verse 14, who loved money, to use your worldly possessions to benefit yourself. Uh, verse 8 it says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, guys, I just gave you this picture. You see what, these guys are, what this guy did. He used his master's money, his master's possessions, in order to benefit himself. Can everybody see that, right? He, he, he reduced the bill in order to make himself look good. You got it? Raise, nod your head. I understand, right? Okay, because here's the main point. This is the big idea, okay? If you listen to nothing else until communion, I want you to understand this. The way that the master used his, uh, the manager used his master's stuff to benefit himself is the way that you are supposed to use your master's stuff to benefit yourself. Now, I'm not saying go to work and start being dishonest at work, but understand this, everything that you have, whose is it, right? Everything that I have is God's. I am just a manager of everything that I have. All the money that's in my wallet, in my bank account, everything at my house, I don't own that stuff. All that stuff is God's, and I am just the manager of it. And Jesus is saying, use your money, use your possessions to benefit yourself by storing up uh, for yourselves uh, friends for heaven, right? Use your, use your resources to bring people to the Lord so that when you get to heaven, there's going to be this benefit for you there. So, verse, verse 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that it, when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwelling. That's exactly where I got this from. Use what you have that is not yours to gain friends for yourselves. We're going to look at this verse a little bit more, and I think you probably can see that, and we'll understand this better as we go. So, first of all, we're using worldly wealth. It's of this world. It's not going to last. It is not going to go with you. When I die... When I get to heaven, uh, let's just say the rapture happened right now. Okay, everybody's a believer goes up to heaven to be with the Lord. 
everything that's in my bank account, whether it's $5 or $5,000 or $50,000, it's staying, right? Because that's worldly wealth. It's not going with you. God, Jesus isn't going to say, wow, let's just transfer this to this account, right? He's going to say, well, it sure is too bad that you didn't use that because it's worth nothing to anybody. The same with my possessions. Everything that I have in my house and my car, my extra car, anything like that, when I die and go to heaven, guess where it's going? Nowhere. It's going to stay here. Everything that I have is going to stay here. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, possessions are really nice to have. I mean, I have possessions. I have a car and a pickup, and I have movies, and I have uh, plates, and I have clothes, all sorts of things that I like to have. And I also have money. So I'm not going to try to convince you that money is not important because we know that it is. It's what makes the world go round. Anybody ever go out to eat and try to walk out the door without paying for it? I wouldn't recommend it. I've never tried it. But from the movies, you just go in the kitchen and start paying for it, washing the dishes. If you put on clothes at the store and you try to leave, they're not going to let you just walk out the door. You're going to have to cough up something. If somebody works for you, uh, and you try to just say, okay, thanks, you worked for me, but you never paid me, that's not going to fly. You're going to have to compensate them. Money, possessions is what makes the world go round, and we all understand that. But Jesus is saying, use that stuff to your benefit to make friends for yourself in heaven. Now, we, it's easy to make friends. Like, if I was to go to, if I was to just, if no one knew me, and I had just loads of cash and started passing it out, anybody here says, I'm going to be, I'd like to be your friend, if I go to school and start passing out things, people are going to flock to me, right? It's just the way it is. Last week we saw the parable of the, uh, what was it? Okay, the parable of what? The prodigal son. Okay, people were paying attention. That's all that was. Uh, he went and he squandered his wealth. He had all sorts of friends because he gave everything away. But it's not just about making people like you because it's not the idea that I'm using worldly wealth to gain worldly friends by doing worldly things. That's not what matters. It's using what you have in order to bring other people to Jesus. And there are lots of ways to do this. The two main ways we're going to look at today is first the churchy way. The churchy way. We have these offering plates and people put checks. It looks like a lot of checks in there. You know, that money goes for uh, reaching missionaries, right? Some are specifically probably donated to the missionaries so that they can go out there to the foxes, to other parts around the country so that they can bring people to Jesus, right? You guys have done that, and you guys understand that, and you know that. But also, some of that money is used for Awana. It's used for vacation Bible school. It's used for those, those kinds of resources because you know when I put money into that plate, it's going to reach other people within this building. And I'm, forgive, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes because I haven't heard this directly from anybody's ears here or anywhere, but I just have heard through the grapevine talking to people and through pastors everywhere that there are people who put their money in the offering plate and they think that's good enough. I put it there because I don't want to do anything. That could be somebody else's work. I put the money there because I don't want to do it. And that's not exactly how that's supposed to work. That's step one. That's part of it is putting money there to reach other people, but there's more to it than that. In First Thessalonians, Paul talks about uh, sharing the gospel with people, but also sharing our lives with them as well. We can run around throwing money at people, and they will appreciate that, and they will enjoy that, but if that's all we do, we're not doing anything but trying to meet a temporary need. we got to open up our mouths. we got to make them a part of our life in order to share the gospel with them. 
So the first way is the churchy way to, to invest, and people do that well. This church uh, does a good job, as far as I'm concerned, of investing in reaching out to the world around us uh, in a financial aid way. The second way, though, is more of a personal way. Now, um, I have this cup here. It was left here. It was Ethan's. And I, a lot of people have done this in a personal way. People have invested into Ethan's life. Uh, and I, you know what? I would love to just say, you know, these people did this, and this is what they gave because we appreciate it so much. But I didn't ask if I could do that, and I don't want to embarrass people. But the people who did give to him, there's people who donated clothes and books and little kid toys and snow pants and boots, everything that this kid could need. People said, I want to invest in this little kid's life. And he's, he'll be three November 1st. How much do you think he really understands about what you gave him? He goes, yeah, I like this coat. I like the color. Yes, you gave it to me. Thank you very much. But he doesn't really understand. He just is getting free stuff. But these people were still investing into his life. They may not ever see that investment pan out, but Jesus will make sure that it's paid for or that you, are uh, that you are reaping the rewards for what you invested when you get to heaven. A personal way, a very minor little way, but it goes a long way. It's a huge investment into your spiritual bank account. Uh, when our neighbors, when we see that our neighbors have a need, we see that they have bald tires and we go and we buy them tires for their car. Uh, that's investing in them in a financial way. When they have clothes, um, I even, I even, uh, when I think about this other one, uh, I don't. I assume and I hope that God looks at this as a, a spiritual investment. Uh, but anybody have the Boy Scouts stop by this week, week? Okay, Nikki did. I knew that because somebody came to our house with a little prize that he won, and we bought really expensive popcorn. Okay. <laughs> Do you know why I bought really expensive popcorn? I, it's not because I enjoy that popcorn, but it was, a, it was an investment into this little boy's life so because he comes to Awana, and hopefully that's going to open the door for opportunities to share the gospel with the parents and to get them in. And so I look at that as that's the only reason I did that, and I think God will look at that as a spiritual investment. When you buy Christmas gifts for people and Christmas cards for people, without any thought in return that they're going to give you something in return for that, I look at that, I think, as, as a spiritual investment. Now, it's real easy to say, you know what? <clears throat> I didn't plan this. I just know that this is the way it is. Oh, let's take, the, let's take the money out of there. Now, look at here. You say, I don't have any money in my wallet. Am I off the hook? Now, I want you to look at verse... Uh, Verse 1, chapter 16, verse 1, and look at who Jesus is talking to. Jesus told his disciples, he told his disciples. Now, who were the disciples? These were the guys who just gave up everything to follow Jesus. What did they have? Nothing. They don't work part-time jobs in order to have extra money. Whatever resources that they get, Jesus is saying, it's great that you have those things, but use those to store for yourselves treasures ultimately in heaven. He's also talking to the Pharisees who loved money in verse 14. He knows that they are hearing this, but specifically he was addressing the disciples. Now, in the King James, when it says money, it, it says like mammon. I think verse 9, uh, it, says, I tell, it says use worldly wealth. It says worldly mammon. Uh, that, that does mean money, but it can also mean more than money. It can mean your possessions or your wealth. It could mean your land which means you don't have to use your money necessarily 
just to reach your friends for Jesus. You can, and that's a huge way to do it. Money, like I said, is what makes the world go round. It speaks volumes for people, but not everybody has money like the disciples did not have money. He's saying use what you have in order to, do, to reach those people around you. So, you don't have any money? That's okay. Anybody have any spare cows or a spare car or spare clothes or a meal that they could bring to somebody? Use that to invest in somebody's life. Uh, you have abilities. I know some people can do manual labor. Uh, people can clean. People can cook. Use that to get into investing into people's lives to bring them to Jesus. Whatever you have, use it to benefit yourself by reaching into other people's lives. Kids, you're not off the hook either. Okay, this isn't just for the oldie moldy people with lots of money. This is for the kids too, because I know sometimes kids have money. And I have seen kids who have very little money or lots of money put money into uh, like the BBS jars. And I know lots of times kids get money from their parents, but I know that's not always the case. I know that there are kids who do that. I know at school kids, when you have extra resources, you have extra pack of gum, you have extra, an extra cookie with your lunch, you can take that and give it to somebody and invest eternally into their life by doing that. When you have, if you have the ability to do math and your neighbor doesn't, because I know not everybody's gifted at everything, you pour into somebody's life and God can see that as something that he will bless you for because you're trying to minister to them by whatever means you have, whatever means is possible. All we really have to do is remember that this world is not my home. I'm only passing through, right? This is temporary. I'm here 40 years. I'm anticipating hopefully less than 40 more. But I don't know what that's going to be. Um, but I just have to make sure that I'm doing my part to reach other people with the gospel. Now, if you do this, it says you will... Uh, be welcoming, uh, you'll gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternity. Now, you're going to get welcomed into eternity. That doesn't, it doesn't say specifically how that's going to be. There might be, when you walk into heaven's gates, uh, those people that you ministered, that you connected with, are going to come and jump in your arms because they're so excited saying, thank you, Jason, for investing into my life. I know what you did. I know the sacrifice that it was, and that's why I'm here today. All, all I know is it's, it's going to be an, a lasting investment. I know that it's going to pay off. You know, when I was a kid, uh, we had to go around selling candy bars uh, in order to go to this school retreat or school camp. And it said, if you, score, if you sold $50 worth, this is the price that you got. And if you sold $100, this is what you got, and ex, et cetera. And it's like, I'm eating more candy bars than I'm trying to sell here because that's not my thing, okay? Um, I had to pay for them, though. But I wish I could tell you what the investment would look like in heaven. If you gave $1,000 to church or to, to reach people, this is the prize that you would get. This is the reward. And if you gave $10,000, this is what you would get. And if you gave $100,000, this is what you would get. But I don't have any catalog in my book, in my Bible. I don't think anybody else got one either. It's something you're just going to have to trust that it will be worth it. We're getting heaven for crying out loud. I mean, just the alternative makes it say, this is worth doing, this is worth living for. All I know it'll, is it will be worth it, and it will be lasting. That's all I can tell you for sure. But if you don't, you know, if you don't use your resources to reach other people, uh, verses 10 to 12, it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. 
So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? We all understand this idea. If I'm not trustworthy with a little bit of of money, I'm not going to get a lot more. If my kid who has the beat-up car keeps crashing it and keeps getting tickets, am I going to give him the key to my Xterra, my 2003 Xterra that I really like? Am I going to give him the keys? Not unless I'm stupid, right? Because he hasn't proved himself. If I have an employee that's got $10 in the petty cash and that keeps disappearing, am I going to give him the key to the, or the, the combination to the safe? No, not unless I'm going to try to catch him in a trap. And the same goes with Jesus, with, with all this. You have resources. If you're not faithful with the little bit that you have here on earth, there is no way you're going to get more when you get to heaven because you weren't trustworthy with it. And the funny thing about this is being trustworthy with, uh, with a little bit versus a much, this manager should have hung on to what his master had, but he gave it away. But when you come to Jesus, it's kind of the opposite. We're supposed to be faithful with the little bit we have by giving it away, by using it to reach other people. If we're, that's how we're being faithful is, is with a little bit, is using what we have in order to reach other people. And I know it's real easy for people to say, boy, if I had more, I would give more, Right? And I've found myself there too. But I think if you want to be able to give more and you want to be able to do more on this earth, be faithful with what you have. Jesus can look and say, okay, Josh had five bucks and he gave it. Josh wants to be able to give more. Okay, I'm going to give Josh ten bucks and see what happens and see if he's willing to do the same. But really, ultimately, the choice is yours. You guys have the same choice that I do. I can, I can be stingy and I can hang on to every dollar that I have, everything possession that I have, And I could be content and happy in this world. But when I get to heaven, there's not going to be anything there waiting for me. Or I can say, I'm going to be the most generous person trying to reach people with the gospel, with with these, give them the material things so that they they recognize their spiritual need, and, and you'll be blessed for it. But the choice is yours, okay? Just like everything else that you read in the Bible, just like everything else that you hear, just like whether you like me or not, okay? The choice is yours. I can't make you just like I can't make my wife. I can't make my kids, right? The choice is yours. This parable talked about using your your resources here on earth in order to reach people for Jesus. I have a question for you. Who did that better than anybody else in the entire history of the world? What? The Sunday school answer, Jesus did. You know what? Jesus didn't use money, though. Okay, If if it would have cost a bazillion dollars in order to save the whole world, guess what he would have done? He wrote a, would have wrote that check for a bazillion dollars. Okay, however big that is, he would have wrote it. It would have been so heavy that they couldn't even carry it to the bank because there would be that many zeros. But that's not what it took to make us right between him and God. He gave the best of what he had, which was his life. He, he, he left it all on the cross. He didn't hold nothing back. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to keep this little bit for myself. He says, no, I'm all up there for everybody. There's nothing I'm leaving behind because I want everybody, I'm giving up everything because I want the whole world to come to know Jesus as their Savior. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That's what he did. He died on the cross to pay for the sacrifice for everybody to bring you to God. 1 John 2.2 says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world, all the whole world we're supposed to be reaching, Jesus died to pay for their sins as well. I don't want to read, I'm not going to sing this song. I've already 
been embarrassed enough times by trying to lead songs. Uh, on Wednesday, I, I started to try to do it, and people just looked at me like, I can't believe you're doing that. Uh, but Jesus paid it all. Number 125 says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. He used all his resources in order to bring you to Jesus. He's asking that we use all our resources to go and bring other people to Jesus. And just for a few moments, I know you recognize that it's communion. I just want to think about Jesus. I want to take the time to say thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. Because um, we, we take this little bit of bread, and it represents Jesus' body. We took this little bit of cup that represents Jesus' blood. That's what Jesus gave in order for us to have eternal life. But the Bible makes it really clear how important it is to make sure that things are right between us and God. Because it's, it's not a big deal to eat this little bit of bread and drink this little bit of juice. It's just bread and juice. And that's all there is. But it represents something bigger. And if we take it in an unworthy manner, we're, we're asking for judgment to come upon ourselves. So if you're sitting out there and you say, you know what, there is something wrong in my life between my God and me because I have sinned and I have not confessed it, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to make things right. Okay? You don't have to stand up and do anything out loud. God knows what you're thinking. Just say, I'm sorry for that, what I said to my wife. I'm sorry for how I treated my kids. I'm sorry for what I thought about my boss. Whatever it is, ask God to forgive you. But if you're sitting there and you say, you know what? I don't know what's going on. I don't know anything about this. I don't know who Jesus is. I have not trusted him as my Savior. Now's the time to make that decision as well. Because, uh, A, it's something that we all need to do. We need to trust Jesus as our Savior. But if we, if we don't take this in the right way, like I said, we're asking for judgment on ourselves. I don't know how that's going to come, but this is what the Scripture is showing. But you don't have to stop there. You can say, okay, you know what? This guy up there is saying, I need Jesus as my Savior. I'm going to trust him. Not me. You're going to trust Jesus to save you from the punishment of your sins, and he will give you eternal life. It's that simple. There's not a special formula, not a special words that you have to say. Just admit to Jesus that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to make that right between yourselves and God, however that needs to look. And then I'm going to come down here and ask the deacons to join me as we serve communion.